In Mark chapter 5, we have a story of Jesus meeting a need of a particular lady. Actually, in this chapter, we have a whole chapter of Jesus meeting needs, but if I was to preach the whole chapter, we would be here for a long, long time. And so we'll not do that. But it starts off with the maniac of Gadara. And he is this man who's been uh, living in the tombs and cutting himself, and people have tried to apprehend him with fetters and chains, but he breaks them all asunder. Uh, the reason, of course, is he is demon-possessed. And when he is asked what his name is, he answers, my name is Legion. And so at the very least, a legion would be considered about 2,000. So here's a man that doesn't have one or two demons. This, this is a man who's really messed up. You know, Mary Magdalene had seven demons of which were cast out of her. But here's a man with 2,000 or more. And so God certainly works a miraculous miracle here, the Lord Jesus Christ. And people come and find him seated and in his right mind and clothed and uh, looks, uh, looks properly, probably like a Baptist should. And here he is, uh, seen of Jesus. Jesus has transformed his life. And then he gets back in the boat and goes to the other side. And as soon as he comes to Capernaum, uh, they're a leader of the synagogue. And if you've been to the uh, Holy Land or to Israel, you will be able to see the foundation and some of the pillars of that very synagogue that still exists today where Jesus started uh, his ministry. And so much happened there. And uh, it's just an amazing thing. And you're going to find that the, the ruler comes and he talks about his daughter. And he's saying, my daughter, my little daughter, she's at the point of death. And so we have a man who's desperate. Uh, you know, as a parent, how much we love our children, and especially those little children. Now, when they grow up, they might break your heart, but when they're little, they're pretty innocent, and they, yeah, you still love them, and they still love you, and everything's all right, but she's at the point of death, and he's desperate. And he goes to Jesus, and he says, come and uh, touch my daughter. And Jesus agrees to do that, but while he's going, the Bible says he's thronged. Uh, the crowd surrounds him. And it gets to the place where they can't hardly get through the crowd. But there's also in that crowd another lady, and this is the lady of whom our text talks. Here is a lady who's been troubled for, seven, uh, for 12 years, and the Bible says she has this disease, this uh, affirmity in her blood, and she has suffered many things at the hand of a physician or physicians. I don't know about you, but if you get desperate enough and sick enough, you'll try every remedy you hear of. Someone will say, uh, you know, you need to get an orange and squeeze it on top of your head and rub mustard in it, and you'll find yourself doing it. And uh, I don't know the logic of any of those things, but I do know that when you are sick, you're looking for help. And this lady was the same way. And now she has spent all she has. 
And there's nothing better. In fact, the Bible says she's worse. But finally, she hears that Jesus is going to be in the area. And so, with great enthusiasm, she gathers herself together, as frail as she's been, maybe come out of a sick bed or however she was, and she thinks, if I can just get to Jesus, he will help me. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be made whole. By the way, this morning, I don't know what your problem is, but I still know Jesus is the answer to whatever the problem is. And this morning we're going to see how Jesus meets her need. Of course, after this miraculous healing of this lady, he's given the information that no need to be troubled anymore because this young daughter uh, uh, has died. But instead, he says, no, she just sleeps. And you're going to find that before this chapter is over, the man is smiling because his little daughter has been raised back to life again, and, and mama gets to cook a meal because Jesus says she's hungry, feed her. It's a wonderful story of Jesus, Jesus meeting needs. And I don't know about your life, but we always have needs. The greatest need we ever have is salvation, of course, and I'm so glad as a nine-year-old boy, Jesus met that need in my life. I don't know how old you were or where you were at, but when it happened, you passed from death unto life. It's a memorable thing to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But still, needs abound. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of troubles, is what Job says, and that's true. I think we could all say a hearty amen to that. And we always have needs. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's health, sometimes it's relationships. We all have needs. But this morning, we want to look at this lady and realize that Jesus does indeed meet needs. We see, first of all, that she had a felt need. A felt need. In verse 25 and verse 26, we see that that the Bible says, and a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. She had a felt need. Now, I don't know about you, but there's probably been times in your life where you had a felt need. You needed God to intervene. You needed Jesus to do something. The Bible is full of stories of people who needed help. And it's interesting that when you have a felt need, you will look out any source you think you can find help. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. He was a leper. And because of that, he would be ostracized. Because of that, he would, he would just habitually get worse and worse and worse. And there was no cure 
for leprosy. And so here's a great man, a great reputation, a great abilities, and yet he's got a great need. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 4 in verses 1 and 2, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondsmen. And Elias Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Now here's another lady with a need, and, and this is a woman whose husband has died. And, and by the way, he was a good man. He served the Lord. He was a prophet, and she is the wife of a prophet. But her husband is dead, and unfortunately... He left her with debt. If I could also add something to our sermon, I would say, uh, men, uh, try to prepare for your homecoming uh, when you go to heaven so that your wife is well taken care of. Try to figure that out and make sure she's not left with great debt. But this is what happened to this woman. And not only that, but the creditors are coming and, and to add uh, injury to insult, not only has her husband died, but now the creditor's going to come and take away her sons. And she is in a world of hurt. And we see here that she was seeking help. And so she goes to the man of God and said, what can I do? He says, what do you have in the house? And of course, she has nothing. Why? Well, she's already done what she knows to do. She's had her garage sale. With no garage, of course, but she had her sale. And she sold her furniture. and She sold anything of worth, any gift that her husband ever gave her in her life. That she's also parted with. She has nothing in the house save a pot of oil. She had a great need. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15, verse 14 through 16, of another need. And it says, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now this is a bad state of affairs for a Jewish boy to be in. He's feeding the pigs, and now he's thinking about competing with them for the food of which he feeds them. Now, I'm not a connoisseur of wild animals, but I grew up on a farm a little bit, and my father had a few hogs, and it was my job every evening to carry a bucket of slop, which is a fancy word for pig food, but it in itself has no fancy about it. It is slop. And my job was to pour that in a trough so the pigs could fight with each other to get all they could. And now he's thinking about getting in the midst thereof. Not these fine grains we feed pigs now, but it was 
everything that was left over, anything that nobody else would eat, and now he is in that position, and he has a need. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 and 47, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He had a need. Here he is, a blind beggar. And, th and that's all there was left for him to do. And he sits there in the same spot he's always been. He's been led to that spot or else he knows how to get there. And in that exact spot, he's been begging, no doubt, for years. And one day he hears that Jesus is coming by. And so he cries out. Why? Because he has a need. And, and those more polite people would say, no, hush up, hush up. Jesus is busy. He doesn't need to hear from you. But listen, he has a need. And when you have a need, you don't care who knows it. You, you, you might get fanatical and you, you might drink, start drinking turnip juice. Juicing. Who would do that? Well, if you have a need and somebody said it'll work, you'll turn red as a, as a, you'll turn into a turnip or a beet or any of that other stuff. No doubt you've known friends that had so much carrot juice their countenance was orange. I've seen people like that. But if I had the same situation, mine would be red and orange and pink and I would try everything I knew to try. And so would you. Jesus meets a need, and she had a felt need. And I want us to understand that, because in our life we have needs, and sometimes it's a need for, you know, our car got messed up, and we need some help here, we need some... But sometimes there's a need that's so great, so great, that we do not have the answer of it, but our only hope is for God to get involved. And so we reach out in desperation and say, Lord, please, I need your help. It's a felt need. But the Bible tells us that our greatest need in life is not always a felt need. You see, this woman knew she had a need of healing. But what she didn't know is she needed a help for her sins. She needed a savior, not just a healer. You know, these bodies, even if they get healed, they will die one day. They have an expiration date. They only last so long. And all of our dates are different. Some may live for a few years. Some may live for uh, 20, 30, 40 years. And some, praise God, live to be 100 years old. But most of us, we have a deadline and a destiny with death. And our greatest need is be able to face God and go to heaven one day. And so she had this need. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 24, the Bible says, I say, said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you place faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the Bible is very clear, ye shall die in your sins. 
And I remember as a nine-year-old boy, the first time I clearly understood that, it shook me to my core, and I thought, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go live with the devil. I want to go live with Jesus. And so I reached out in faith and trusted Christ as my personal Savior. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And let me say, when you stand before God, it will not matter what you've done in life. It will not matter the accolades that men have given you, the positions that you have held, the finances that you have gathered, the wealth that you've created. All of that is gone. Two men were sitting by a side, on a sidewalk or standing on a sidewalk when a hearse went by and they knew it was the hearse carrying the body of a very wealthy man in their community and one guy says to the other, I wonder what he left. And the other guy says, well, he left it all. And that's exactly what happens. You carry none of it with you. Now, as a believer, we know that the Bible also says we can lay up for ourselves riches in heaven. We can send it ahead. And by the way, that's why we give to church. That's why we give to missions. That's why we give to Christians. That's why we give to worthy causes, because we're laying up treasures in heaven. And that's why every Christian ought to be an avid giver. Luke chapter 10, verse 20 says, Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And boy, that gives us cause to rejoice. See, she had a felt need, but her greatest need was not her felt need. And in other words, you may have cancer, but if you're not a Christian, the cure for cancer is not your most important need. Jesus is your most important need. Salvation and forgiveness and redemption and heaven, that's your most important need, but it's not always a felt need. But notice, secondly, that someone told her about Jesus. By the way, that's how everyone comes to faith in Christ. Someone tells them about Jesus. Aren't you glad that day someone told you Maybe if you're here this morning having never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're in luck this morning because we know him and we can tell you how to have a relationship with him, how to place your faith in him, how to know that your sins will be forever removed and God the Father will look at you as the righteousness of his own son, Jesus Christ. The very moment you trust Christ as your personal Savior, his righteousness falls on your account in heaven. And as far as God is concerned, he sees you with the righteousness of his own son. And that's what Calvary was all about. It wasn't just suffering for our sins. It was paying the debt for our sins. And when we place faith in Christ, that redemption is ours. The, the Bible tells us in verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. Who told her? 
Who told her that Jesus was coming? Only heaven knows. But maybe we'll meet that person in heaven one day. And I'll say, well, what did you do in life? Well, not much. Did you serve Jesus? Well, a little. Well, well, well what, what did you do? Well, I, I don't know. I, I tried to share Jesus. I wasn't very good at it. But I, I knew a friend, and, sh and she had this ailment. For 12 years she suffered, and I just told her, I said, Honey, you need to go see Jesus. And he's coming today down this street. You need to go see Jesus. And say, you're the one. I'm the one what? Remember, they haven't read the New Testament yet. I, I, I'm what? Well, you, they wrote about you. You're, you're in the Bible. I'm in the, well, not your name, but the Bible says this woman with the issue of, she, when she had heard about, you're the one who told her. Let me tell you, when you get to heaven, you're going to want many people around you that say, you're the one that told me. Those are the jewels in our crown, the people we have shared Jesus with. We can't save them, but we can point them to the one who will and can. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife, and when she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Naaman had a need, but he needed someone to tell him about who could heal him. And there was a prophet, Elijah, a man of God. Elijah didn't do the healing, but he knew the one who could. And that was God Almighty. And God could give him the information and dip in the River Jordan. And he would do what God said and come away whole. You and I can be the vessels to which God will speak to someone with that felt need. And by the way, let me just throw this in. If there's that peop those people that you've been witnessing to, witnessing, 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 and, 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 and yet they've never turned their life over to Christ. You share the gospel, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe another day. Let me tell you that life has a way of humbling us. And when we get to the place where the doctor tells us it's cancer, stage four, little hope. Then again, that person might want to say, could you tell me again what you told me about Jesus? Would you mention that one more time? Would you, would you tell me what I do to receive Christ as my personal Savior? Let me say, if you have a friend that you know has a desperate, felt need, tell them the story again and again. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Because... At that time, they're likely to listen. As a pastor, I've had the opportunity of having some members say, well, I have a relative and they don't know Christ, but, you know, but they're, they're almost at their deathbed right now. And pastor, is there any way you could make a trip and go see them? And I've done that throughout the years. And I will go and sometimes with just mental clarity of just five minutes, be able to share Jesus Christ and see them humbly pray and trust Christ as their personal Savior. And the next day they're in eternity with Jesus.
You say, well, surely it doesn't happen just like that. Well, ask the thief on the cross. It happened just like that. He was good and gone. He was going to die. They were going to break his legs before he was going to die that, that day. But Jesus said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. In Mark chapter 10, verse 47, it says, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Listen, here's blind Bartimaeus, but somebody had compassion on him. Someone said, hey, Bartimaeus, do you know who's coming down this road today? Well, no, well, no, no I, I can't see him. Who, who would it be? It's Jesus. Jesus. Well, wow, he's the one that's raised people from the dead. He's the one that's lift, uh, uh, healed withered arms. He's the one that made withered legs stand. He's the one that made blind eyes to see. And Bartimaeus says, blind eyes to see? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> Somebody told him. I hope you and I are telling people because they need to hear about Jesus. You say, yeah, but I've already told them. Wait, wait a minute, there's going to be a time in their life where they're so desperate that they're willing to listen. And they want to hear about Jesus. And they're not so proud anymore. It doesn't matter what's in their bank account. It doesn't matter what their accolades are. It doesn't matter what their position is. Uh, there comes a time where all of that means nothing. Nothing. And you know you have a need of Jesus. Well, they need to hear who Jesus was. In John chapter 1, verse 32 through 34, it says, John bear record, uh, saying, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remain on him, the same as he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. That's the testimony of John the Baptist. Even though they're cousins, he said, I, I've not met him. I, I don't know him, but, but the one who sent me and told me to go preach, and told me to go baptize with water. Why, that's God himself, or that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to John the Baptist about that. He was full of the Holy Spirit since his birth, so surely the Holy Spirit's communicating all that with him. And he says, uh, he told me how I would know, and I saw it, and I bear witness that this Jesus is the Son of God. We need to know who he is. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a great example. He's the Savior of all mankind. He is the only hope of heaven any human ever has. If we could work ourselves to heaven, Jesus never would have died. He'd let the, the best of us go to heaven and the rest of us would miss out. But none righteous, no, not one. doesn't matter who you are. There's none righteous. So Jesus died for the ungodly. And then what he could do in Matthew 11, verse 4 and 5, 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again these things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. You see, we've got to hear who Jesus is, and we've got to hear what Jesus can do. And you and I know that. We're Christians. You don't have to be the best Christian the world ever saw. You don't have to be the best child God has. But if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you can tell what happened to you. You can give your story. And then notice finally she acted on what she knew. She heard that Jesus was coming by and she had it in her mind that if I could just get close to him and touch the hem of his garment, I would be made whole. By the way, we know that's exactly what she did. By the way, it's interesting in chapter 6, when Jesus goes back to the land of the Gadarenes, the Bible says that they all thronged him because they thought if they could just touch the hem of his garment. And this lady started a trend. So everywhere Jesus was going now, he would be touched by other people. And the Bible says, as many as touched him, in chapter 6, were made whole of whatsoever disease they had. She acted on what she heard. Her faith brought action. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that Jesus died so that we might have everlasting life, but we must act on that in faith and humbly say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you save me? I believe in you. Would you take me to heaven when I die? Let me tell you this, dear friend. His answer is always yes. When you come humbly to the Savior, it's always yes. He doesn't matter if you're a king or a pauper. He doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. He doesn't matter if you're, you're handsome or look like me. Bone ugly. He doesn't matter. He will save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. Oh yes, there's never been a seeking sinner. He's turned away. And we're all sinners by nature. You're either a sinner that will pay for your sins or you're a sinner that Jesus Christ paid for because you've placed faith in Christ. Are you acting? Naaman acted on what he heard and went to the river and was dunked seven times in the river Jordan and came up with fresh skin. The prodigal acted on what he knew and went home and asked forgiveness of his father and a great banquet was given in his honor. Blind Bartimaeus started responding and crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped the throng and said, go bring that blind man to me. Blind Bartimaeus went to Jesus blindly, but he went away seen. And let me tell you, you may be blinded by the things of this world, but if you'll place your faith in Christ, you'll be amazed how you'll start seeing things God's way. God's way.
And then Jesus responded to her faith in verse 34. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Jesus always will. You come humbly to the Savior, he'll save you. Amen. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure that heaven is your eternal home, maybe you go to church, maybe you're religious, maybe you'd say, I'm spiritual, maybe so. But none of that will get you to heaven. You have to come to the place where you realize you are a sinner and you deserve hell, but Jesus Christ took your place on Calvary, the just for the unjust. He died for us. And if you'll place your faith, simple childlike faith. The Bible nowhere says for a child to have adult-like faith. It says for every adult has to have childlike faith. If we just believe like a child, he'll save us. There's wonderful things that Jesus Christ does for us. I want to end with this story. When Billy Graham was 92 years of age, his hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina, wanted to have a banquet in his honor and have different people come up and speak very kindly of him and what an amazing, whatever you thought about Billy Graham, anyone who speaks to a, a projected 200 million people in his lifetime, that's pretty amazing. But he was shy. He, he, he didn't want to do that because at 92, he was, he was battling with Parkinson's disease. And he, he, he just, you know how it is, he couldn't control himself. And he was mindful to turn down the, the invitation. But finally they said, Dr. Graham, please, I, we understand that, but could you just come to the banquet? You won't have to say anything. You won't have to get an address. We just want to do this. You're the most famous person Charlotte, North Carolina have ever had, and, and we want to honor you. And, and finally he said, oh, okay, okay, I'll go. And so he goes. And uh, while he's there, many people say some wonderful things about Billy Graham, and they sing his praises and say such wonderful things that finally he feels compelled to say something, you know. So after they're through, he stands up behind the podium, and um, he says, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, that great physicist. He said just about a week or two ago, he said uh, he was called by Time magazine the man of the century. He said there's a story of Albert Einstein. He was on the train coming from Princeton University where he taught. And he's on the train and he's doing his studies. He's got his books and his briefcase and all of that out. And the conductor is coming down the train car and, and he's saying tickets. And they'll present their tickets, and he takes his punch, and he punches that ticket. And so he goes, and finally he comes to Albert Einstein. He says, ticket, and he reaches into his coat pocket. It's not there. He reaches into his vest pocket. It's not there. He checks his pant pocket. He can't find his ticket. He starts looking in his briefcase. Where's my ticket? And, and finally the conductor says, Mr. Einstein, we, we all know who you are. You're the man of the century. 
we know you paid your way. We, we know everything's okay. Don't worry about it. I don't need your ticket. We trust you. We know everything's okay. And he said, well, thank you. That's very kind of you. And so the guy continued down the car, punching tickets, and he gets to the end of the car, and he's about to go into the next one. But he looks back, and there's Albert Einstein on his hands and knees looking under the seat. And he runs back and he says, Mr. Einstein, Mr. Einstein, I told you, we all know who you are. You don't need the ticket. We, we know who you are. We know you paid for the ticket. And, and he said, well, thank you, young man. I appreciate that. I, too, know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> that ticket was going to give him that information. And Billy Sunday said, you see this suit? It's brand new. He said, my grandchildren have been telling me that in my old age, I've not been dressing as well as I always tried to dress in life. And so for this occasion and one other, I went out and bought this brand new suit. In fact, I'm wearing it today for the first time for this occasion. And I have one more occasion of which I'll wear it. He said, this is the suit in which I'll be buried. He said, but when you hear that Billy Graham has died, I don't want you to think about the suit. I want you to think about this. I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. And maybe you're here this morning, and you know who you are, but like Einstein, you don't know where you're going. You could be rich, you could be poor, you could be famous, you could be infamous, you could be unknown. But do you know where you're going? The youngest child that trusts Christ as their Savior knows where they're going. The oldest saint who trusted Christ knows where they're going. And if you're here this morning and you don't know where you're going, you're very fortunate. Because here we know how to tell you how you can know that heaven is your eternal home.